Great. Um, just to say a couple of things. Uh, sermon handout in front of you on your tables if you want to take notes. And usually, we're going to do things just slightly differently uh, this week. Uh, that is to say, usually we have a time of discussion after our sermon. We're not going to have that today. Instead, we're going to have a time of prayer in uh, small groups. And hopefully that become obvious, obvious as to why we're going to do that. Just to say, please don't worry about that. If you're uncomfortable with that, that's fine. You can, you, you know, you can just opt out of that. You can leave the room or grab a drink or whatever. Um, but uh, just to say that means we're just going to do things slightly different. So I usually encourage people to write down a question or something or uh, something for discussion. We're not going to do that today uh, afterwards. Um, hopefully, again, that will become obvious as to why. Um, Let's look at Acts 4, though. Keep, if you keep the passage open in front of you, that's a great help to both you and me as we go through. And just before we begin, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much for the truths that we sung this morning. Thank you for helping us to see how great and big and glorious you are. And at the same time, how you have uh, drawn so near to us in your son, who willingly uh, went to die on a cross. And Father, we just praise you this morning uh, that we are sinners who can come to your throne. Father, we recognise that we we are nothing before you. We are mere dust and often we, we, we think of ourselves as so much more And yet you allow us to come to you, to come into your presence, to know you uh, because your throne is a throne of grace. And so we thank you this morning and we want to come to you knowing that we deserve nothing and yet you give us everything. And Father, you have spoken to us in your word. We know we don't even deserve that. We don't even deserve you coming to speak to us and yet you have and we pray this morning that therefore we would come to you with humble hearts with hearts that don't assume to know you or love you on any of our our own merit father we we come to you this morning wanting to hear you speak to us and we pray father that as we hear your voice uh, our hearts would receive you and Uh, would receive your word and the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Father, please, by your spirit, would you help us this morning for your glory. Father, we do pray for the children who've just gone out as well. We thank you so much for them and uh, we thank you for the Sunday group teachers and the crash teachers that have gone out too. Father, we ask that in your mercy they would see Jesus Christ this morning that they would have their eyes opened to who he is and they would know the forgiveness that he offers. So Father, please help them this morning and help us too to know you more and to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our home groups uh, this week, one of the questions we discussed was uh, this. Have you ever been rejected for speaking for Jesus? If so, share this with the group. Now look, whether you, you, you're kind of part of a home group here or not, or whether you've made it or not, please don't worry. 
Uh, but I thought we would talk about this now. So on your tables, maybe just one person share a time where you've spoken about Jesus and you've been rejected for that. Now, uh, let me just say, rejection does not need to have been spectacular. You know, we often kind of have this idea of rejection means, um, you know, that we're, we're physically hurt or, you know, really badly rejected, whatever it is. But in fact, actually, here in Camborne and Perkworth, it's most like the opposite, isn't it? It's probably very subtle. It's probably very polite. Uh, you could say that actually what we face most often is disinterest or apathy, uh, a time where, where you told someone about Jesus or you mentioned the gospel and people just don't want to know. You know, it's that kind of, that, that's still rejection in one sense. Now, if that hasn't happened to you, that's fine. Uh, you can simply say on your tables, look, I have not had that experience. Uh, I don't have anything to share. Um, and that, that's absolutely fine. But I imagine probably one person on your table has something uh, that they can mention. Okay, so why don't we have uh, a couple of minutes? I should just say, by the way, if you if you don't if you don't if you don't want to talk to anybody, that's fine as well. Um, just just make that clear, um, and you could just listen in uh, later on. But a couple of minutes on your tables, uh, and then it'd be great if we have a couple just willing to share with the whole church. Okay, um, uh, I hope that was uh, fruitful. Uh, does anybody have anything they'd like to share with the whole group? Maybe we could have just a couple of examples, a couple of short examples, um, just to, you know, just to help us. Um, anybody like to share a time where they faced some kind of, you know, however subtle it might be, some kind of rejection of Jesus? Mr. Brown, you go for it. Uh, the time that really stands out for me was when we had um, a guy into the house to service our burglar alarm. And uh, we were chatting, and, and afterwards I offered him a Gideon New Testament. Mm. And he cut me dead. <laughs> and um, it was really horrible. Mm. Really horrible. Yeah. Did, do, do, would you mind sharing what he, what, what he said? Do you know, I can't remember, it's a few years ago, but you know, when I offered him the the New Testament, and he was in our lounge, you know, he'd just done the job. Um, It's it's the way people respond, Mm. you know, and he really didn't want to know, he completely blanked me and cut me dead, and uh, it was shocking, Mm. because it's one thing if people reject something, but it's how they reject it. And that's what really, mm-hmm. uh, sh- you know, shook me at the time. And it, yeah. it sort of stands out in, in my mind. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Anyone else? Maybe one more? Anyone at all? Come on, let's... Thanks, John. Go for it. Uh, I was just... I was saying about how there was... Uh, a few years ago now, um, the head of PE at school, and I used to uh, go into work with him. And... I was trying to talk to him about Jesus. And I said to him one time, I said, so John, do you uh, want to read the Bible with me? And he just laughed and was like, no. Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you just feel silly. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, he wasn't quite laughing at me. I, I, well, kind of, I guess. 
Um, but like Heather said, you know, what did you lose out for doing that? And I was like, well, nothing really. Mm. Yeah. So. Okay. Thanks, John. Okay. Anyone else? Going. Going. Gone. Great. Okay. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Um, now, there are a couple of reasons why we had that time of sharing. The first is, I think it's something that we're supposed to do. So that is exactly what you see happening in Acts 4 this week. So if you were here last week, you would know uh, that Peter and John, they've been speaking about Jesus and they faced opposition. Okay, now, it was much more dramatic than uh, Richard's example or John's example. Um, what's happened is they were arrested, okay, they were questioned in a kind of court-like setting, and then they were told not to speak about Jesus again. And we see here in verse 23 that once this is all over, they share their experience with the rest of the church. You see there verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. See, they're sharing with the church. Not, you know, we often share our successes. We, 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 we just, you know absolutely praise God for baptisms, which is absolutely right, but we're, we're clearly supposed to share times that we've faced opposition. That's what they're doing, F- sharing the times where they faced opposition for speaking for Jesus. And then what we see in the rest of the passage is how the church respond. See, the whole church doing something. And this really is the second reason that I wanted you to to share this morning. It was to then ask the question, okay, how as a church do we respond? You know, when we hear of our own church, we hear of Richard and John being rejected in the ways that they were, what should we do? I guess there are a number of possibilities, aren't there? We could think, well, this is clearly just impossible. Let's just give up. We could think, let's try a different tactic, maybe. If, speak, you know, if, if, if offering a Bible is, is just too direct, only leads ever to rejection, let's take a different approach. Uh, we could perhaps just encourage Richard and John after the service. Well, you know, keep on speaking, keep going. I guess that's what we saw last week. I think that's the right thing to do. But there's more than that, though. How should we respond to people sharing their stories of rejection? I guess you could ask the same question with stories that are further afield. You may have heard this week uh, of this story of a church school in Kent. A church school, can you believe it, has just banned a Christian charity called Cross Teach from coming in to teach children about Jesus. Now, Cross Teach have been doing this in this school for many years in a non-confrontational way. They've re- enjoyed a really good relationship with the school. They, 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 they really just teach, they seek to teach what the Christian faith is all about. And yet what happened was a number of parents started to protest. And so the head teacher banned Cross Teach from coming in. In fact, they've banned all uh, Christian assemblies from taking place. Now when we hear of that kind of opposition, what should we do as a church? Maybe we could just worry that this kind of intolerance uh, is clearly now the way that our our culture in the UK is going and we're not quite sure how to stop it or change it. Uh, Perhaps we could try. Perhaps we could start a protest of our own, maybe an online petition on Facebook. 
Uh, or consider a different story, uh, 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 an even more distant example, the one I gave last week, where a couple who believed in Jesus in the, in the country of Nepal were murdered for their faith, and now it seems impossible to go into that village and share Jesus without facing rejection. Now, I wonder what you did when you went home. You know, having heard that story, what did you do? What should we do as a church when we hear about Jesus being opposed? Well, look, of course we can respond in all the ways that I've suggested, um, rightly or wrongly, but there is another response. There's a better response that we see here in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John head back to the church and they share the news, what do the church do? Have a look at verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. You see, when they hear what's happened, they pray. They pray. And, more than that, they pray together as a church. Now, I think that's something clear that we should do, and I think it's something that we should be encouraged by. It's a huge encouragement for us. It means, actually, look, none of us are sharing Jesus on our own. You know, we have this task given to us, but it's not just for me or for you as an individual member to, to go and share Jesus and just face rejection on your own. No, you're supposed to share that. And then the whole church be praying for you, be praying about that. And actually, isn't that encouraging that if you're not you know, the most confident person about speaking about Jesus, you can be involved in speaking for Jesus through prayer. I think that's a huge encouragement. It's something we should do. So the question this morning is not so much what should we do, it is how should we pray? How should we pray? In response to opposition to Jesus, how then should we pray? Well, we see three things in the passage this morning. And of course, they will help us to pray. They will shape our prayers. But more than that, the truths that we see here should give us such great confidence, such a big view of God that actually they move us to pray. So three things here. How should we pray? First thing is that we remember that God is in control. We remember that God is in control. This is the first thing we see. We remember that God is in control. This is how we see the people uh, praying. Unlike us, this is is quite striking, I think. They don't start their prayer by saying, thank you, God, or we praise you. I think that's typical of us. That's what we, we often do. What they do is they simply state the truth about God. They are recalling things that are true. They're just, they're just stating them towards God. And in doing so, they are remembering that God is in control. They begin with stating who God is, verse 24. Do you see, they, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You are the creator. You're the king. So they're saying God, God is not just a bigger, better version of us. He's completely separate. He's completely independent of us. He made us. He made everything in this earth. It's all his. They're remembering this. And as the king and creator, as the author of everything, he knew, God knew, that there would be times where Jesus would be opposed 
The next thing that the apostles remember is that God said this in his word. Have a look at verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, his anointed one is uh, his chosen king, Jesus. The footnote will tell you that they're praying the words... If you have a footnote there, if you have a church Bible, you will do. They're praying the words of Psalm 2. And what's going on is God knows and predicts that his chosen king will be rejected. And that then is exactly what they have seen happen. They continue to pray, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. You see, they're saying the words of Psalm 2 have come to pass. And specifically here, I think what they're referring to is the cross. So that's where we've last seen Herod and Pontius Pilate. You, you don't see those characters in the, in the episode that has just gone in Acts, where uh, Peter and John, what they've gone through. No, Herod and Pilate were the ones who tried and crucified God's anointed King Jesus. So they remember the cross. They remember this dreadful day, what seemed like such a disaster you know, at the cross, everything looked like it had gone horribly wrong. But as they remember it before the sovereign Lord, we see their conclusion in verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see what they're praying? They're saying God was in control of the whole thing. That's what they're remembering. Now that's clearly what you see at the cross, isn't it? The God who made everything, the the author, the one who knows the beginning from the end, promised that people would rage against his chosen king and then it happened. And so as disastrous as it looks, the king of the earth hanging on a cross hasn't taken God by surprise. The people who nail him to the cross haven't suddenly become greater than their maker. They haven't suddenly taken control from him. No, God is firmly in control of that. It was all part of his plan. Of course it was. He's the author. He's the maker. And of course it was because that is exactly how God is able to save us through the cross. That is how God wrote the script. And so, as the apostles remember that the cross was deliberate, that it was all part of God's plan, they are assured that God is still in control. Remember, they've just, they've just been rejected. And the point where they are told to shut up speaking about Jesus, at that point they're praying, God, you're in control. You are still God. You are still the king. You are, you are in control of this. You're in control of what we're going through. Now, you, you can apply that to any situation. I think that's a great prayer to apply to any situation. But, but, but here, of course, what it means is that the raging against Jesus that's going on is a complete waste of time. It says there, doesn't it, verse 25, the people's plot in vain. It's a waste of time. However much they rage against Jesus, at the name of Jesus, they will never, ever remove him from his throne. And anything they do 
to his people, that is only going to serve God's purposes. It's only going to further his plans. Because he wrote the script. Now just for us to hear that is an encouragement, isn't it? You know? Whenever we're rejected for Jesus, I guess it can be so discouraging. You know, I guess it feels like Often the tide of culture is going against us. It feels like the world is laughing at us. You know, picture it like this. You have a, have a theatre, or, or you could perhaps have a stadium, a big stadium. There's this small stage in the middle, and there's thousands and thousands of seats surrounding the stage. And it often feels, doesn't it, like the, the whole world is sat in those seats, and they've put the church on the stage. They've put Christians on the stage, and they just laugh at us, and they laugh at what we believe and it feels like they are dictating what, what happens next, doesn't it? When you hear about that school, for example, it feels like the culture's dictating. They're writing the story. That's how it often feels. But you see, the truths that we see in these verses tell us actually it's completely the other way around. You know, the people on, in the world, those laughing, they're on the stage. They're shaking their fists at God. And his king. And they feel like they're getting somewhere. They feel like they're in control. But what they don't realise is that God and his king are the ones in the audience. They're the ones looking on. And the rest of Psalm 2 tells us that God looks on at the people and he is laughing at them. He's laughing at their pathetic efforts to dethrone him. Laughing because that, that's not possible. Yeah, God is the one who's directed this production. God's written the script. He's the one who's in control. And no amount of opposition will ever, ever change his plans. And look, I, I just want to say, look, if you're not a Christian here today, can I just ask you, do you realise this? Now, you, you may not have actively given some kind of abuse to a Christian, but if Jesus is not your king, you oppose him. And can you not see that he is God and you are not? And every day you try to be your own king. That's not only laughable, it is a total waste of your time. Because it gets you nowhere. Now, before you meet him, please, I, I, I ask you to go to the cross where he forgives you and recognise him, put him as your king. Now, for the rest of us who, who are Christians, what, what the apostles are praying here is not just an encouragement for us, it is something for us to pray. You know, we, we will be opposed by others. And at those times, what do we do? We need to remember that God is in control. You know, what I love about this prayer is that it simply teaches us that you can, you can pray in the way that they do here. You know, when the opportunity opens up uh, with a friend or work colleague and they're just not interested or they just say no, or they just say, look, that's really nice for you. You can pray very simply. You don't have to, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be long or eloquent. You can simply pray, God, you're in control. I look at the cross, remember, God, you're in control. 
You know, when we throw out hundreds and hundreds of invitations to the light party, wanting people to come and hear the good news of Jesus, and no one turns up, is a possibility. We, what, we should, what should we remember? We should remember, you know, it's like the worst thing ever. We would never want that, but we remember, don't we? At that point, we pray, God, you're in control. You're in control of this. You've got this. And when we hear of more and more schools not allowing Christian content in their assemblies, we can pray, God, this is part of your plan. We don't understand it, but you are in control. We may not understand why. We may not like the fact that God has ordered things in the way he does, but even so, we remember this truth, that God is in control. And as we remember that truth, we then begin to trust it, don't we? Which means that we carry on speaking, but not in our own strength. We ask God for help. That's the second thing we see this morning, that we ask God for boldness. We ask God for boldness. Second thing we see, ask God for boldness. So, remembering that God is in control is not the end of their prayer, and it's not the end of their purpose either. You know, remembering God is in control, that, that's really the easy part. Uh, you know, it leaves us thinking, doesn't it? Okay, I'm relaxed, I'm, 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 I'm not panicking, God has this. I, I guess at that point you could think, great, I will, I will remember this and step back and hide away because the world's against me. But actually, that is not what the church do. It's extraordinary to see what they pray next. Th- think about it. They know that Jesus was crucified. They have just heard that Peter and John have been put in prison. And look at what they ask for in verse 29. This is extraordinary. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, that seems like a totally insane thing to do. They see trouble coming and then they run towards it. Now why would they do that? Well, they know God is in control and they know God will continue to work. Have a look at verse 30. They say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now despite how that that verse reads, I don't think that's a further request from the church so much. They're not ordering God to work, it's more that they're recognising that he will. So just as we've seen, through Jesus, healing, wonders, signs will be done. And the church know these will continue. Jesus has been raised, he is still at work, God has written the script, Jesus will carry on working. But the church also know that these things are not to be marvelled at for the sake of it. They will need explaining from God's word. In fact, not a single person in Acts comes to Jesus without the gospel being spoken by a human being. So God will do amazing things, but the church needs to speak. And so they ask for boldness. To speak your word with great boldness. To explain those things. Now that the encouragement from, from what they ask for is that despite opposition, the gospel is not going to stop. No one can stop this gospel. It's going to go forward. So picture again that the theatre in, in your mind, whilst well, you know, you've got the world on the stage, and whilst God is watching on at those people who oppose him, he does laugh at their efforts you know, to take his throne, 
But at the same time, he's not just sitting there laughing, doing nothing. He hasn't got his feet up. Actually, he continues to work. And he is so loving that he stretches out his hand to the very people who oppose him. That they might actually come to know him. The people that are shaking their fists at him, he wants to work so that they would come to him. That's why he sent his son to die. He looks on his enemies and he looks on them with compassion and love. That's true even today. Yet God has not stopped working even when we're opposed. Now, look, I don't think that means we should necessarily expect to see the same miracles and wonders and signs that we see in Acts. Uh, You know, if we don't see those, I don't think we're necessarily doing anything wrong. God says in his words, in his word, that these specific miracles or ways he demonstrated as apostles were genuine and the ways that without the New Testament, God proved that his message was true. Now, God may work in similar dramatic ways, but he certainly doesn't promise that. And so, where we don't see these things happening, as we do in Acts, it doesn't mean God has stopped. It means, you know, God's hands are still at work, and mostly they work through his local church. You know, we, the fact that we're here is a miracle in itself. The fact that we exist proves that. The thing that we should focus on, the thing that we should be asking for, is boldness to speak. Now, with or without miracles... People only come to know Jesus as they hear the gospel spoken. And so the church needs to speak. Now, I guess the truth is that some of us here will find that just really hard. But that is where this this prayer is great, isn't it? Because we can ask God to enable us. It says to us, doesn't it, We, we don't need to know lots to speak about Jesus. We don't need to know all the answers. We don't need to be clever. We don't need to be a certain type of personality. Do you know what? We don't even need to try hard to be bold. We just need to ask. God enables us. Boldness is a gift. So ask. Ask God for boldness. I mean, ask God for boldness anyway. Yeah, particularly if, if you don't feel like you're bold, ask God for boldness. But particularly, I guess, in times of opposition, that's the hardest time to speak, when you've just been rejected. And I think that is exactly what it means to be bold. It's to have courage to continue to face opposition, to carry on speaking, even when people don't like it. But the encouragement here is God will enable us. So ask for boldness. And then, expect God to answer. It's the last thing we see this morning. Expect to see God answer. Expect to see God answer. Last thing we see. Expect to see God answer. So the church asks for boldness, and God gives it to them. Now, they haven't... They, they, sorry, they have. They have stopped praying this this point. This is not part of their prayer. So what happens is we kind of zoom out from the church and what we see is that God gives his people what they ask for. Just have a look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. They see, we see, that, that God answers their prayer. They go out, they speak the word of God boldly. Exactly what they ask for. Now look, it's really easy, isn't it, to, to kind of focus on the miraculous side of this verse. Uh, some of me may even say, and I've, I've heard this, this is a second Pentecost, what we, what we saw back in um, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2. I, I don't think that's the case. So the Spirit has come. The people have received the Spirit. And so when we're told that they're filled with the Spirit, uh, it's not that they're receiving it for a second time, I don't think. It's not even that they're receiving more of the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. If You either have him or you don't. Uh, what I think is going on is that they are made more like Jesus. That is how we see the same term, filled with the Spirit, used in the rest of the New Testament. The Spirit gives us more courage, uh, gives people more courage to obey God, just like his Son. It makes you more like Jesus. Now, as for their meeting place being shaken, I guess that is God's way, I think it's God's way at this time, of giving them assurance that their prayer has been heard and it is answered. I'm not sure we should expect, you know, the same thing here. I don't, I don't think we should expect the room to, to start shaking uh, necessarily. Um, simply because our assurance that this kind of prayer is to be answered is right here in front of us. It's in God's word. We see this prayer answered. We should expect it ourselves. In fact, we see their request for boldness not only answered here, but it's answered throughout the rest of the book of Acts. It is a sustained answer to prayer. Right to the very end, where eventually we see the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, and yet what do we see? The very last verse of Acts, he's proclaiming the word with all boldness. That's how Acts ends. It's it's a sustained answer to prayer, which means that we too should expect God to be answering our requests for boldness. So, yes, God is sitting in the theatre seats. And in one sense, we are on the stage, aren't we, as well? We're alongside the world. We're kind of in the thick of things. But just as that doesn't mean that God is not at work, it also doesn't mean that God is distant. You know, God has not left us to it and he's just kind of watching on. No, God is actually there with us by his spirit, changing us, making us bold to face his opponents, to even bring them to Christ. So we should expect this prayer to be answered. Perhaps not immediately. You know, it might not make us feel any different. But look, ask God for boldness and you will receive it. Ask God for boldness and he will probably give you an opportunity to express it. Now that's true for whoever we are. Verse 31, the whole church, all were filled with uh, the Holy Spirit. All spoke the word of God boldly. You might feel like the weakest person here. You, you, You might feel like you don't even want to ask for boldness. You're afraid to do that. But I guess that's where we're driven back to the fact that God is God and we are not. God is the one who made us. God is the one who can change us. And I think at the point that he is willingly giving us boldness, we will only be glad to receive it. Now, you might be nervous about, I don't want to receive it because I don't really want to speak, but actually at the point he gives it to you, you will be glad 
that God gives you boldness and answers that prayer. And he will be glad to use us and to save his people through us. Let's pray together. Father, you are a God who is the maker of heaven and earth, who is firmly in control, who has written the script, who has a plan. And we know, Father, this morning that that will not change and no one can ever change your plan. We praise you for the security we have in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. And Father, as we remember that, we pray that you would give this church great boldness to proclaim your word clearly. Enable us, we pray, and expect us to see you answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so I said at the beginning that we, we, we weren't going to have a discussion time. I thought, because, it, you know, I think it's fitting, after looking at such a passage, that actually we spend some time praying. And um, I, 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 what, all I've done is uh, I've put some um, prayer points on the back of your sermon handout. Just those two things. To, to firstly, remember that God is in control. And secondly, to ask for boldness. And... We've got a few points here. Do that for those who've shared their stories of rejection. For all of us in this community. For our time at the Light Party, at Hub, 29th of October. For the church that we heard about, that's the, that's the one I, I put up on the screen. It's called St John's Church of England School. It's in Tunbridge Wells. And um, for the UK generally. And then I thought, if you wanted to pray for um, persecution more worldwide, there's, there's the top ten persecuted countries there um, that we, we will try to we, we, we often try to pray for these in our church prayer meetings um, but if, I think it would be great to pray for Christians there now maybe you want to just pick a couple of countries or that kind of thing but anyway look, just to reiterate if you're really uncomfortable with this please don't worry just you, you, you know you could, you could sit on the table um, uh, uh, on your own if you want to and just think about what's been said or you could um, you know, just go and grab a drink. That's absolutely fine. But otherwise, if we could get into kind of, if you're on your own, join another table and just spend, let's spend five minutes uh, just praying in light of what we've heard uh, and praying for these things here. Why don't we do that? Brilliant. Um very uh, brilliant way to end, I guess, is uh, by singing uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's the newer version with the, uh, the lovely chorus. Um, so let's uh, stand and uh, sing What a Friend.
Normally we're in a rush to sort of take the words off the slide, but I think I'm just going to leave them there for us all to remember. Great words, aren't they? <laughs> Let's uh, close our service uh, by praying. <coughs> Father, I pray um, that in all things we will uh, look to you, that we will be people who are constant um, in prayer. God, help us to um, be people who just, in every situation, uh, turn to you, acknowledge who you are as the sovereign Lord and King, and just to bring everything to you. Help us not to forget. Help us not to just go home and not pray. Help us, God, to be people who trust in your sovereignty, in your kingship, Help us to lean on your timing and your understanding. Help us, God, to be people who support uh, one another as we seek uh, to live for you. Amen. Um, Just a couple of notices before...